Hey listeners, thanks for dropping in. I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. Welcome back to Barry Motives. Thanks for joining us today. We're happy that you're here with us. Absolutely. Our listener support really means a lot to us. Today, I think we should just get right into it because it's a monster of a case and you should buckle up. Melissa has tackled a ginormous case for us today. It's one that you might know. As we've talked about before, killers often get classified into categories to describe the way they kill. A serial killer, a mass murderer, a spree killer, family annihilator. Well, today's case can be classified as all of the above. What? One category of dirtbag is just not big enough to contain Anatoly Yuriovic on a Perninko. And if you couldn't guess it by his name, we're taking a trip across the pond. Far across the pond. <laughs> yep. Like always, I apologize in advance for any mispronunciations. There will probably be ample opportunity to laugh at my attempts today, but I'll do my best. We always try, and that's what matters. Family annihilators have always held a special place of intrigue for me. Because of this, this case piqued my interest. Most of the family annihilators that we cover have murdered their own families. But today, we'll cover a dirtbag that murdered the families of complete strangers and rests the blame for his actions solely on his own family. Oh no. That's terrible. A whole family? Multiple times. Multiple times. Ugh. There have been multiple movies, books, and documentaries done on this particular killer. Anatoly Onoprienko was born on July 25, 1959, in Lasky, in the former USSR. Anatoly was the youngest of two sons. His brother, Valentin, was 13 years his senior. Oh, a bit of an age gap there. Yeah, quite a gap. At the age of four, Anatoly's mother passed away in 1962. Instead of being cared for by his father Yuri and staying with his older brother, he was officially turned over to an orphanage at the age of seven after several different failed placements. Aw, his dad wouldn't keep him. No. His grandmother and his aunt had tried to intervene and take care of him, but they were both unable to do so. So his grandmother arranged for what she felt was going to be a better orphanage than his father had first placed him in. And she would come and visit him, bring him meals sometimes or care packages, and try to maintain a connection until her death a short while later. Aw, so she just couldn't physically take care of him, obviously, if she died not that long afterwards. No, she was well into her 80s. Aw. After his grandmother passed away, he had little contact with his family. As a child, he felt this abandonment keenly because he was old enough to remember it. Yeah, that would be so devastating as a child. The loss just of your mother alone, and then to realize that your father won't keep you. Well, if your mom's not here, I don't want you. Yeah. Yuri was a decorated World War II vet, and he had fought bravely in the war in the Soviet army, but he had his own demons. When Yuri made the decision to place his son into the orphanage, he had a long list of his own troubles. He had run away from his home at the age of 14, preferring to join the war effort instead. When the war ended, he worked random jobs as a locomotive engineer, driver, or a merchant, and he was a known alcoholic with a mean, abusive disposition that he took out on his wife and his children. He was convicted twice for stealing, 
One's for stealing lard, and the second time for failing to return borrowed money from his parents. Both not horrific offenses, but it does sound like he was a little bit of a dirtbag. And I think the charge for not returning the borrowed money to his own parents indicates the severity of the breakdown in the relationship and the lack of family stability that you can sometimes see through generations. Yeah, that's true. I didn't know you could charge somebody for not paying you back money you loaned them if it's not an official thing. (laughs) That's what he was charged with. Finances would be a concern for Yuri throughout his life. And it was the reason he provided for giving up his youngest son. Anatoly would harbor a lot of resentment towards his family members for the abandonment. That his brother had stayed in the care of his father and was not sent away was a particular thorn in his side. Oh, it would be. But his brother would be closer to adult age by then, would he not? Yeah, when he entered the orphanage, his brother would have been almost an adult and pretty much self-sufficient by that age. But I think that fact was completely lost on the child that now was lost and alone in his little world. Oh, absolutely. Everybody thinks that their sibling is your parents' favorite child. But how could he not think that in that situation? Right, because it wasn't his brother that he was dropping off. It was only him. I had read one report that his brother, Valentin, married very young and quickly had three children of his own and never felt capable of taking on the care of his younger brother. He worked as a teacher and earned a meager wage. And so finances were cited again as the reason that Anatoly could not be cared for by a family member. Yeah, that's sad. But I don't know if I could let one of my siblings be in an orphanage, especially if I was already in the family raising kid mode. Yeah, it would be hard. It would. But it sounded like they struggled a lot. Or maybe they just really had faith that he'd be taken better care of in the orphanage. Maybe. Russian orphanages weren't known for their loving care, though. Yeah, not a lot of cuddles and storybooks at the end of the day. No, it doesn't sound like it. I read several reports on the conditions in Russian orphanages during this time, and it's quite deplorable. When I did my coursework for infant mental health, They use data from Russian orphanages for studying what happens when children are neglected. Oh, wow. So we're talking pretty severe then, if this is the standard of neglect that they're using to teach nurses with. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And the ramifications that happen because of it. Huh. That's just really sad that nobody felt like they could step up and take care of this little boy. None of his family would. Hmm. In the orphanage, without the loving support of a steady caregiver, he grew to despise the family unit that had denied him his childhood. Every time he was teased by another child that he had been left behind while his brother had remained, he felt insulted and less than a person. Anatoly frequently ran away from the orphanage, seeking refuge in the forests that surrounded the buildings until he was recaptured and brought back again. And this would happen multiple times. Oh, he felt like he was in jail. Mm Mm-hmm. While on the run, the young boy became proficient at starting fires for warmth and protection, but this proficiency would turn into an obsession for him. While Anatoly was capable of making friends, which he made mostly while playing soccer, he preferred solitude or to be in charge of the interactions within the friendship. This attitude resulted in him having very few friends. He would never feel that he truly fit in. There are reports that he bullied those that he did become close enough to, and even stabbed one child when they did not do what he wanted. Oh. Anatoly would later make claims that it was during his early years in the orphanage that he began to hear voices. But these claims would only be made years later. So you think kind of like as an excuse? 
I have some skepticism about the extent of Anatoly's mental health disorders. I do think that he suffered from something and definitely was a psychopath, but I'm not convinced that he was that stark, raving, mad individual that could not appreciate his actions. My skepticism mainly comes from the statement made by Anatoly's defense lawyer years after the trial when he admits to coaching Anatoly on how to appear more crazy in order to avoid punishment. He dictated the way he should behave and what kind of statements he should make. Oh, that should be illegal. You're allowed to give your client tips on how to be perceived better. Yeah, and how to answer questions. Right? Wow. So with that statement, I'm always a little bit skeptical anytime they bring up any sort of mental health issues with him. Right, because they're trying to actively make it seem worse than it even was. Right. There is definitely some things that go on in his life that indicate he did have some mental health disorders. But those statements made by his lawyer, coupled with his cunning and his habit for threatening people to keep his secrets, indicates to me that he was more than fully aware of what he was doing was wrong. As we go through the case, I'm sure you'll see what I mean. And you can form your own opinions. I may be completely out to lunch because many people that met him do say that he was terrifyingly disturbed. Hmm. So at the age of 14, Anatoly began his apprenticeship in forestry. This was fitting because it was his refuge from the orphanage. Unfortunately, instead of finding success and a future for himself, he started to drink and commit petty thefts. His behavior and lack of discipline led to poor results in his apprenticeship. It wasn't just his grades that teachers were worried about. As Anatoly grew, he became more and more violent towards others, showing excessive cruelty towards fellow students. He showed no regard for authority. It was like the rules were only there for other people. His behavior became so concerning that he wasn't able to complete his studies. That's super terrifying in a child. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, you know how people said they found him disturbing? Was that just like this essence of evil that they could sense around him? It was his behavior and this vibe that they got off of him. Wow. While Anatoly was struggling in the orphanage and finding a path for his life, his father Yuri was beginning a new life all for himself. Oh, no. He remarried and had another son. What? Yep. And would never return for his second son. What a dirtbag. So now you have a wife and another child, a support system to help you, and you're like, meh. It's been too long. Who cares about that kid? That's right. He just left Anatoly in the orphanage. He threw him out like trash. Yeah. What a dirtbag. When Anatoly left the orphanage in 1976, he visited Yuri and his new family. He and his father tried to reconcile. But after some time, there were disputes over money. So Anatoly had to leave his family again. He did say he tried to reconcile with his father a few years later. But he himself said he resisted that relationship because he feared retribution or that being abandoned would occur again. Oh, yeah. He would have put up so many walls at this point. Mm -hmm. After that, contact with his father was terminated for good. Yuri would go on to leave his second family as well and eventually start a third. What? Mm -hmm. He was a dirtbag father all around. Yeah. What a piece of slime. Definitely not good father material. No. Anatoly would remain estranged from his father until his father's death in the 1970s. Now at the age of 17, Anatoly fulfilled his compulsory military service. There, he learned how to handle firearms with enthusiasm, but struggled with the other teachings. He felt stupid because he was having trouble understanding the people around him. Some believe that this is where the first signs of mental illness were beginning to start. Although, again, I'm not totally sold on that. 
it seems that he was just continuing to have difficulty understanding social interactions and fitting in with everybody else. Because after serving his three years time in the military, it seems for a time he was fairly successful as far as keeping it together goes. He was accepted into nautical school and participated in several extracurricular sports and even took up karate. But successful is a relative term because not all of his dealings were on the up and up. After naval school, he worked aboard the ship Maximum Gorky, which traveled the open seas. While working on the passenger ship, Anatoly took to breaking into cabins and stealing. It was like his own personal shopping center. What? And you're on a ship. You can't like run away. You're going to get caught. No, but the passengers change every week. And yeah. so there was always a fresh crew coming on board. That's true. He would then use the stolen loot to buy gifts to impress women. He wasn't an overly social guy, but because he was a handsome five foot four inch guy and he had some cash, he had no trouble attracting the ladies. I heard bundles of cash give you a few inches of height. That's right. It's <laughs> exactly what happened with Anatoly. He would also use his stolen funds and loot to purchase items that were contraband in the Soviet Union, and then he would sell them for profit. Whoa. So he had a quite a little industry going for himself. Yeah. And he enjoyed this time in his life. His thievery would not be looked upon very kindly, though, by his superiors. And while they didn't completely fire him, they did demote him to the reserves. How do you not get fired after stealing from all those customers? They just didn't think it was that big of a deal, I guess. Anatoly would leave the sea, though, in 1986, when his on-again, off-again girlfriend of three years gave birth to their son. He was compelled by his girlfriend, who was no longer able to work on the cruise ship as she had been doing, that it was time to settle down. And Anatoly saw some sense in this. He agreed that it wasn't good to be away from his family for long periods of time. He joined the fire department in the town of Dunaparegni, but that job didn't last very long. And it is ironic, given his affection for starting fires, that he would try a career in putting them out. Well, it would work with his obsession of fire. He'd get to be right up close and personal to them. Mm -hmm. I think it actually happens more than we think. Many arsonists have that background of trying to either get on the fire department or working for a fire department. That's true. Am I going to be looking at your husband in a different light? (laughs) Just kidding. He loves to start fires. For him, it's an art. (laughs) He can appreciate the different art forms of fire. That's right. Unfortunately, Anatoly's obsession with fire didn't translate well into the job, and he didn't stay with the fire department very long. He was just too restless. The timeline between 1986 and 1989 gets a little sketchy, and even the reported victims in this case are difficult to follow. There are victims that Anatoly confessed to, but he doesn't have names for them, and there are ones that are never part of his convictions. There are also numerous well-known reports that did not align with the translated Ukrainian court documents that I found, so I'll do my best to keep it all straight as we go through. But there may be some differences if you've heard the case before. That's hard when it's kind of a jumbled mess while you're researching. One source will say one thing, another source will say a different thing. Well, and the sheer volume of his victims made it very difficult to match up with the translated records. Well, that's true. Plus, you're going to translated records, which things can be lost during that process. Mm -hmm. But during the time period between 1986 and 1989, there are reports that Anatoly, after spending three years with his partner, just up and left, shortly after the baby was born. No way. Just like that. 
he left his family and he went to live in another city and never made an effort to see his son for a very long time. After being abandoned by his own, that was his decision. It is quite surprising, given how much hate he felt towards his own family for abandoning him. Now he was doing it to his own son. Yeah, what a hypocrite. Often people will fall into those same footsteps of how they've been treated. But on the flip side, a lot of people make that their goal to not become like their parents or the people that have hurt them in their life and do better. Right. They try to break that cycle. Yeah. And it doesn't even seem like he gave it a real effort. No, it seemed like he just couldn't handle it. And whether it was his fear of not being able to be a father, or maybe he was just thinking that he didn't know how. Or maybe he's just a dirtbag. And that's probably the case. He more than willingly uses his own family's experience as an excuse for what he later does, but wasn't willing to change that at all for his own son. Right. Like, my dad did this to me and it hurt so bad, so now I'm going to do it to my son. Yeah. And that's justified. Because it happened to me. Right. Baloney. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh Uh-uh. In a new city, Anatoly started working at a gym where he met Sergei Rohazin, a fellow employee. They developed a friendship based on common interest. Sergei was also a father and a petty theft, just like Anatoly. Except the big difference is, is that Sergei stayed and Anatoly did not. That's right. So not really a lot in common. Anatoly used that as a commonality between them. He still identified as being a father. That irks me when that happens. I can just see him. Oh, yeah, yeah, I have a son too. Oh, yeah, when my son was born. Yeah. Meanwhile, he had no idea what his son was doing or took any responsibility. Yeah, get lost. Ugh. Their friendship, though, and their similar interest did evolve into a criminal partnership. Anatoly was still looking for a way to increase his financial status. So he convinced his friend that a life of crime would pay far better than his job at the gym. Sergei was an Afghanistan veteran that was struggling to feed his wife and daughter and was more than willing to up his game in the petty theft department to supplement his income. The two began to rob cars and houses to line their pockets. And reportedly, they did much better working together and splitting the loot. Two heads are always better than one. Yeah. Two people searching through the house when you have a limited time amount, they would be able to collect so many more things. Yeah, a true partner in crime. Mm -hmm. And their partnership would take place at a really opportune time in social history. It was during the collapse of the USSR. The rigid system of control that had once existed gave way to chaos as the Ukraine was trying to be organized into a functioning nation. Anatoly's lawyer would later credit the disorganization at the time as the reason why Anatoly was able to get away with his crimes for so long, saying it was a time when, quote, no one was responsible for anything anymore. Oh, I could see that. It really does play a part in this case. In 1989, the thrill of stealing and the power that Anatoly felt from committing the crimes was growing, and he began to seek after it. It met the needs of his restless personality his sense of superiority over others began to take root in his mind. Again, the idea of mental health comes up here. This could have been a symptom of his increasing delusions, thinking that he was unique and that his prowess set him apart. Or maybe it was just his narcissism and psychopathic tendencies being unable to view the world from another's perspective. It sounds like it's all of it combined. In this case, I think it is a little bit of both. As he and Sergei continued to get away with their criminal behavior, they got more bold. This boldness led to Anatoly's first confessed and convicted murder on June 14, 1989, at the age of 30. Huh. He was able to get away with this for a long time. Mm-hmm. 
Prior to this, there are some reports that he might have previously shot and killed his elderly landlord when she had walked on him stealing food in her apartment. These reports claim that this spur-of-the-moment killing created a release in Anatoly and began the path that would lead him to believe that killing would be his new purpose. But this particular victim does not appear on any conviction list. So it was more speculated that he did rather than proven. Right. His first official murder occurred when he and Sergei were driving back from Novogorod region where they had been working on a scheme of selling wild cherries. As they drove, Anatoly suggested that they steal a car, and Sergei was game for it. As they entered the Sinelnikov region, they came across a large lada with a trailer attached. The two decided that this would be their chosen mark. Oleg and Lyudmila Nelnik had been traveling, and before they realized what was happening, Anatoly was pointing a Winchester hunting rifle at their driver's window. <gasps> Instead of forcing the couple out of the vehicle like Sergei expected him to do, Anatoly fired a shot at <gasps> Oleg, out of the blue, with no lead-up or warning. Without an explanation or remorse, he claimed the life of his first victim. As Sergei watched in disbelief from the vehicle that they were driving, Anatoly forced the 31-year-old Ludmilla from the car and began to lead her into the nearby forest. No. Is he going to assault her? No, surprisingly, he doesn't. What? Yeah. Sexual motivation is not a motivating factor for him. Huh. Because that is the first thing I would be thinking if someone shot my husband and then was dragging me into a wooded area. Yeah. What he had planned was completely unknown to all of them. But Ludmilla, after having watched her partner murdered just before her eyes, was not willing to find out what he had planned, and she started to scream for her life, a useless attempt to raise the alarm in a rural area. Aww. Her screams were answered with a prompt shot from Anatoly's rifle. <gasps> he just killed her so callously. Mm -hmm. Anatoly then dragged Oleg's body from the car and placed it in the forest with Ludmilla's and dug a shallow grave for them, covering them with loose dirt and just really twigs. And then he returned to the roadside without a second thought to the two lives that he had just taken. In a later interview, Anatoly described his first experience with killing something in his early 20s. His first kill had been a deer. When he killed this living thing, Anatoly described feeling sad about the life that had just been lost. But then in the interview, he stated very coldly, that it was a feeling he would never experience again. Oh. When he left Oleg and Ludmilla's bodies behind in the cold, damp forest, he felt no remorse for it. Wow. Anatoly would later claim that from that moment onwards, killing seemed merely like a game from outer space. He gained no pleasure from it. But it didn't stop him from killing again. Yeah, how do you not have any pleasure of it if you're going to do it so many times? And he did it for what? For a car to go cherry picking? Well, they had been cherry picking. And then he just thought that the car would be a better return, I guess, on their money. Wow. So senseless. And it wasn't really about the car either, because he could have just forced them out of the car and taken their car. Yeah. Anybody would have just jumped out of the car. Mm-hmm. Wow. But he just felt the urge to kill. Back on the roadside, he addressed the now abandoned car that had been their mark. It was now evidence. So he drove it several kilometers from where the bodies were hidden and set it on fire to destroy the evidence. What? Mm-hmm. He killed them for nothing. Absolutely nothing. There was no gain that he got from this at all. So I'm going to kill these people, steal their car, and then decide, meh, I don't really want this car. Let's set it on fire. Right. He hadn't planned to kill them. He was just overtaken by the urge. And so he killed them. 
Which is so bizarre because if this is his actual first killing, like that just seems so out of left field. It doesn't make a lot of sense at all. What a dirtbag. And their poor family to find out that he just murdered them for no reason. No reason Not at that all. there's ever a justified reason for murdering somebody, but this is just like insult to injury. Mm-hmm. After doing all this, he climbed back in the car with a stun Sergi. Sergi asked him what had happened. In response, Anatoly made veiled threats to kill Sergei's wife and his daughter if he ever talked about what he had just witnessed. <gasps> and he would know that he would do it because you just saw him viciously murder two people. Mm-hmm. Sergei took this threat seriously. He never came forward and would actually still take part in robberies with Anatoly until the unthinkable happened again and the cold-hearted Anatoly would kill again. No way. He was probably terrified to double-cross him. I do question some of Sergi's motives, though, because he was an accomplice in this. Even though he hadn't taken part in the murder, he had been Anatoly's partner in crime for several years going into this. And so maybe it was more of a, oh, if I tell on him, he's going to tell on me. True. It was just over a month later on July 16th, Victor and Anna Vasiliak, a Polish couple, were traveling through Koretsky. They were visiting family in Ukraine, and they had pulled off to the side of the road to rest, and their sitting car would become a target. Anatoly and Sergei approached the car with the intention of robbery. Or at least that's what Sergei would later testify. But once again, when they approached the car, Anatoly shot the 43-year-old driver, Victor, without provocation. Then he shot 32-year-old Anna. The two would-be robbers, now turned murderers for the second time, then set the car on fire to burn the evidence and rejoiced when they found that the couple had been traveling with a large sum of cash. Oh, these guys are terrible. Mm -hmm. Sergei would later claim that despite their loot, he remained nervous because of what had just happened, but said that Anatoly did not seem phased by the murders at all. And it seems like he was more involved this time. Yeah, he didn't just sit in the car this time, like he did help him set the car on fire. He had nothing to do with the actual shooting part, but he did help with the fire and he took part of the cash that they stole from them. Yeah, and was excited about it. Mm -hmm. And once again, I question if this is really how it all went down and how Sergi actually felt. Or was he just trying to come across as the less accountable one? He did have a little bit of a vested interest when he gave his detailed account to the police later on. Yeah, it seems a little bit suspicious, but it's hard to say. I don't know if I was hanging out with a friend, even doing just some pettier crimes and they escalated to murder. I don't know if I'd be too excited about joining them on the next job. Right. But Anatoly had threatened his family. True. So maybe he felt he had to go along with it. Yeah. As a survival skill, maybe. It's hard to say what actually was going on in Sergi's mind. Police were a little bit more motivated to solve this crime because it had involved two foreigners, and this would have made their country look bad to others. Yeah. In their zeal to solve the murders, they took up the wrong trail to chase and were led in error to a couple of drug addicts. Oh, no. It gets really bad. The couple were taken into custody and sadly tortured until they confessed. <gasps> oh, I wasn't seeing that coming. Mm-hmm. Oh, which makes them indirectly more victims mm -hmm. of Anatoly. The man later committed suicide while incarcerated, and the woman died in hospital from injuries sustained during the torture. So they killed her? Yeah. Whoa. Police never caught on that they had captured the wrong people. And one of the arresting police officers even got promoted for their fine work during this case. Get out. Mm. So crazy. 
They only later figured out their mistake when Anatoly would confess years later. Oh my gosh. Could you imagine being one of those officers that basically murdered this woman and caused the other one to take their life? And be patting yourself on the back. Oh, we did such a good job. And then finding out after that, oops, those weren't the right people. Oh my gosh. One month to the day that Anatoly had killed Anna and Victor, he and Sergi targeted another car an hour north of Melitopol, on August 16th. This is a very small cooling-off period for them. The Podolica family were returning from their vacation as well and spent the night in the forest plantation near Vasilaika. Anatoly and Sergi stumbled upon the sleeping people. Anatoly walked up to the car and knocked on the driver's side window. The driver, Yevgeny, saw him holding a gun and began to reach for his own firearm that he traveled with for protection. He was shot instantly. Oh. Anatoly then opened fire on Yevgeny's three sister-in-laws, Valentina, 27, Paula, 25, and Lena, 22. His 11-year-old son, Sasha, who was also sleeping in the car, was shot and killed as well. No way. Mm-hmm. That is a total annihilation. How can you just kill these kids without a second thought? Later, Anatoly would say that he had approached the car with the sole intention of robbery, and that had he noticed the other passengers in the car, he would have just left. But they were all asleep, and he hadn't noticed them before knocking on the window. He said, quote, I was completely different, so if I had known there were five people inside, I would have left. Instead, once he had started firing his weapon, he felt committed to taking all of them out. The thought of mercy never crossed his mind. Well, I'm sure they would have all woken up with that first gunshot to -hmm. their father. And to him, then they all became witnesses. How horrific. Afterwards, Anatoly sat in the car for two hours with the dead family surrounding him. No way! He contemplated suicide. He claimed that he tried to kill himself, saying, quote, I put a gun to my head, but the bullet wouldn't come out. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Then he goes on to talk about the smell of the bodies started to get to him. So he dragged them to a nearby ditch to dispose of them. He believed that he saw Lena twitch as he removed her body. So he stabbed her in the back with a knife. (gasps) Then he set the car on fire and left. In the morning, local shepherds found the charred remains. This guy is terrible, Melissa. He is really terrible. And it's hard to believe that somebody else would just be sitting on the sideline watching him do all this. Yeah. There were some conflicting reports if Sergi was actually present during the murders of the Podolica family, or if Anatoly had been on his own. Sergi would be indicted and convicted for their murders. So to me, he must have been there. Yeah, he's a full-on accomplice now. Mm -hmm. But it would be the last time that he was considered an accomplice for Anatoly's crimes. Well, it seemed like they were just getting more and more horrific each time. When you're shooting an 11-year-old boy who was asleep and all these young girls. And that seems like that was the turning point for Sergi, was the child. This is a whole different ballgame when you start killing children. But whether Sergi was present or not during the shootings, police do use the connection between the two of them to come close to catching them. Police investigating this crime were able to track down the car that Anatoly used to pull up alongside the family. They began to interview owners of this model of car. Guess who's on the list? Anatoly. No, Sergi. Oh. He was still using the car that was registered to him to commit their crimes. What? Yeah, not the brightest move. 
Maybe you guys shouldn't have lit them all on fire and should have driven one of those stolen cars. Yeah. Not that we want to give any dirtbags any tips, but my goodness. Well, because Sergei had a criminal history and was known to own a 12-gauge shotgun, he was brought in for questioning. Sergei does not confess to the crime and doesn't actually even talk about any of the murders that he's witnessed. But he does point the police in Anatoly's direction, telling on him by saying he owns even more guns than I do. Police tried to approach Anatoly, but he had fled to the other side of the country. They connect with the Odessa police and warn them about Anatoly. But the paperwork for that follow-up states that they, quote, did not consider it necessary to investigate. What? This is one of the huge questionable things that happens during this investigation. The investigating team for the prosecutor's general's office established that a note was made in pencil in the police registry saying, quote, Anna Perninko's hunting case was sent on October 4th, 89. A few years later, when the police officers were interrogated about not following up on this case, it was not possible to find out anything more. Oh, they were covering their tracks? So it looks like the investigation into that crime just disappeared. That's fishy. It is a really fishy part of the case. And Anatoly's lawyer later kind of alludes to the fact that it might have been Sergei's connections to Afghanistan that helped him do that. Really? Mm -hmm. Because all of a sudden it just disappears. For some reason, they knew that they had to interrogate him and question him. And it just comes up as, oh, we didn't consider it necessary to interrogate him. And it's dropped. Not necessary. Oh, my goodness. What would make it necessary then if this isn't? Exactly. They were investigating a murder of five people. Yeah, I can't get over that. But it was just dropped and, and there was nothing more said about it. And one of those people was a child. Yeah. They're willing to torture an innocent woman to death, but this will just drop. And Sergi just had his opportunity to come clean. If he was really under duress, he could have spilled the beans, gotten it all off right here and then. But he chose not to. Right. He's as big of a dirtbag. Absolutely. Well, I don't know as big of a dirtbag, but he's definitely a dirtbag. Yeah. There are some sources, and even Anatoly himself would say that the dirtbag duo murdered one more time together in the summer of 1989. Anatoly claims that while he and Sergei were robbing an isolated house outside the city, the man of the house discovered them and they shot him in retaliation. Then it was decided that the rest of the family members also had to be taken care of in case any of them had witnessed anything and could point the police in the duo's direction. Anatoly claimed that 10 family members the two parents and eight children were all murdered that night to make sure that there were no witnesses left behind. Sergei did not collaborate these claims later, and none of these victims were included on the victim list during Anatoly's trial. Wow. I couldn't even find names for them. But he does tell this story about shooting up this farmhouse. Yeah, that's sounding fishy too. It is. And they're only going off of his testimony. That's right. Most people just went off his confession saying that he had murdered these people. But Sergi says they didn't. And in the actual prosecuted crimes that he went up for, they weren't included on the list, which doesn't necessarily mean it's a comprehensive list, but they had him for every other one of the ones that he had confessed to. And a whole family of 10, somebody would have noticed. And so you think that there would be at least some reports about it. Yeah. If he did murder them, their murders were never brought to justice, which is just so sad. Mm -hmm. After being passed over by police scrutiny, though, Anatoly used the second chance 
to flee. In the autumn of 1989, he suddenly skipped town for a second time, in fear of being caught. In the early 90s, he began to travel as a vagabond through Europe. For the next several years, he traveled through Europe, through several countries, living off a life of crime. He spent some time in Hungary, Yugoslavia, Greece, Spain, Denmark, Austria, Sweden, and Germany. Until 1992, when he was expelled from Germany for entering the country illegally. After returning to Hungary for six months, Anatoly returned home to the Ukraine. After being kicked out of all the other countries for not belonging, ironically, Anatoly wasn't even considered a permanent resident of the newly formed Ukraine because of the upheaval in his own country at the time. So he actually wasn't in the country when they formed. And so all of his citizenship stuff, he still said the USSR. So he really was a man with no country. Yeah. Anatoly claims that he only committed robberies during these years of travel and did not commit any murders. But I'm not sure if I would believe him. He escalated so quickly before. It doesn't seem like he would just stop out of the blue. No. And especially it seems like it was for a long time because that was a lot of countries you listed that he visited. Mm -hmm. He's gone from the country for almost four and a half years. Yeah. An investigator would later say, quote, my feeling and the feeling of everyone who questioned him is that he didn't tell us everything. We don't think the story is over, referring to Anatoly's time spent traveling. So the murders that I'm talking to you about today are only the ones that he committed in Ukraine. There could be many more in many of the other countries he visited. That's a scary thought. And because there's no proper record of them, they would have no way to link him to those murders. None at all. Back in the Ukraine, Anatoly began to become more cemented in his belief that he had something to prove. Anatoly had been fearful of returning to the Ukraine because he feared that he would be arrested for the murders that he committed in 1989. He purposely chose not to visit family for fear that the police would be looking for him there. But his fears were unfounded. In the social upheaval, no one was trying to solve cold cases, and no one was looking for Anatoly. While being annoyed that he once again was not being noticed or regarded, he would later use the fact that he hadn't been caught to convince himself that this was for a greater purpose, and it was allowing him to continue his killing spree. He would come to use this anonymity to his full advantage in the future. Of course he would. Shortly after returning to Ukraine, on May 31st, 1994, he was arrested for disturbing the public. Anatoly had stood outside of a ticket clerk's booth for nearly an hour, refusing to move, and a whole bunch of travelers were lined up behind him. When police apprehended him, he claimed that he was hypnotizing the ticket clerk. What? At the police station, he refused to give his name, and police believed that he was suffering from mental health problems, so they had him committed to the psychiatric hospital in Kreef. During this time, he underwent several examinations and psychiatrist Dr. Helena Shiriknok declared him a schizophrenic. He was treated for four months with neuroleptics. Years later, she would stand by this diagnosis when other psychiatrists would say the diagnosis was made in error. She would defend her diagnosis with the fact that the schizophrenic medications had worked. Therefore, he must have schizophrenia. Hmm, but sometimes medications can work for more than one thing, can they not? They can. It's an interesting way to defend your diagnosis. Yeah, you could argue both sides, definitely. Yeah. Anatoly's lawyer had a completely different view on his client's actions during this four-month institutionalization. He would later say that, quote, this cunning man decided to play the role of a mentally ill patient and stood on one leg all day at the airport until the police paid attention to him. Once in the Creve Psychiatric Hospital, he behaved approximately. 
he was able to fool the doctors. He was diagnosed and registered. So pretty much his lawyer thinks that Anatoly used the hospital as free room and board until he could establish it was safe to go mooch off his own family. What a little worm. It's kind of brilliant, though. And it provides an excuse for him later on. Yeah. Both are interesting views in light of what Anatoly goes on to do. Yeah, he's definitely killing two birds with one stone here. Mm -hmm. Anatoly was released from the treatment facility in September of 1994. He was arrested very quickly that same month for theft again. He would continue to steal throughout his murder spree and be charged for several of those offenses. Because he passed in and out of the legal system, Anatoly, at the age of 36, was known to police, but they treated him like they had bigger fish to fry. He was also known to the medical system as well. After being released from the psychiatric hospital in Creve, he did participate in an outpatient treatment program, a program that monitored his progress in the community. I just really hate when we have such horrific murderers falling through the cracks like this guy is. They are so familiar with him because he's been arrested so many times, but he's not doing jail time. Right. And he's even on the radar of the mental health personnel. Yeah. Like, how is this not coming together that this man might be dangerous? Nobody views him as dangerous. Unfortunately, that's exactly what he was. In January of 1995, Anatoly moved in with his relatives. Some sources say that it was actually his brother for a brief period of time to attend his outpatient program. When he wasn't attending his group sessions, he used his free time to take up his old pastime of stealing to supplement his income. And he took up murder, this time without an accomplice. Being left on his own only made the dirtbag Anatoly more deadly. On October 5, 1995, Alexander Svetlotsky, a 32-year-old garage boss, was selling jewelry to 38-year-old Galina Grishenko in a car when Anatoly approached them and demanded money. There were a couple of reports that said they might have been doing something a little bit more in that car. Mm. But they weren't married. When Alexander refused, Anatoly opened fire and killed them both. Anatoly then took off in the car, driving it to a nearby forest. There, he blew it up with a gas cylinder that he had found in the trunk. He escaped with money and the jewelry, and police couldn't find any evidence to track down any suspect because of the fire. Oh, man. Again, he's going to get away. Mm -hmm. That same month, on October 28th, Anatoly shot the poor 70-year-old Maria Parashuk twice in her apartment and then set her home ablaze. Later, he would say he entered the apartment with no intention of stealing. His focus was only on murder. He said, quote, my purpose was cruel. My purpose was to threaten threaten the police, and lead them in the wrong direction. All the time he was killing these people, Anatoly was still in contact with family members and carrying on his normal daily routine during the day, all the while robbing from others and killing them in their homes. See, I'm having a hard time believing his statement about not getting enjoyment from murdering people. He has to be to be doing it this much. Later on, he'll make statements about being a robot, that he was just driven with this urge. It wasn't necessarily a pleasure. It was just a need that he had to fulfill. Just this internal drive to do it. Right. And so he would feel a release after murdering them because he had completed that task. But it wasn't necessarily like a pleasure that he was getting off on it. But a sense of accomplishment afterwards? Yes. Okay. In late November 1995, he was staying with his cousin Piotr and his wife Yolana. Yolana was not appreciative of their house guest. Anatoly gave her the creeps. He was cold and he seemed just off to her. Yeah, because he was. Mm -hmm. She asked her husband to get rid of his cousin. 
So Piotr decided the solution would be to find his cousin a woman of his own to live with. He set Anatoly up with a pretty single mother of two, Anna Kozak. Anna was a sweet woman who had left her abusive husband and was now supporting her two children on her own working as a hairdresser. Oh my goodness. So she's already been through the ringer and let's set her up with a guy that gives us the creeps. Mm -hmm. That's what she deserves. How terrible. It is terrible. But Anna was taken with Anatoly. He was described as a man of average height with the physique of a sportsman who was polite and eloquent. Anna viewed him as a soft-spoken, down-on-his-luck kind of guy. And for her, Anatoly played the doting family man. He seemed committed to her and her children. And this is one of the reasons why I really doubt his stark raving mad claims of aliens conducting his actions and directing him to murder. He was able to carry on his daily functions and live a dual life. Yeah, that's really dangerous. He was still able to function. He was still able to carry on a relationship. And although there were people like his cousin's wife who found him creepy, there were others that thought he was this kind, loving person. Yeah, it makes it more frightening when they can live those dual lives. And wear a mask. Yeah. But maybe in his mind, this was just a ruse that he had to keep up in order to carry out what he was calling his purpose. Yeah. I just looked up a picture of him while you were saying this. And yeah, he looks creepy. He does. Is it the one with the wide eyes and the green? Yeah. Yeah. There are other pictures of him that he doesn't look quite as crazy. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know why it seems so much worse when we put that picture to their name. Oh, it's so creepy. Yeah, it really brings it to life. When Anna began to date Anatoly, he told her that he was a businessman and had to travel often. So she never once became suspicious of his absences even when it was over the holidays. The winter in Ukraine in 1995 was a very cold one, reaching temperatures of minus 40. The country was also dealing with rolling blackouts from its weakened infrastructure, which wasn't made any better by the extreme cold. The families in Ukraine banded together in multi-generational homes, much like today, celebrating their strong family ties. All of this set the stage for Anatoly's terror. So they went through these long, cold winter nights where the power would just give out and they would be left in the dark with no way to access any communication with anybody else. Oh, this is his dream come true. Mm -hmm. Under the cover of darkness on December 24th, 1995, in the remote small village of Mullin, Anatoly watched from a ladder into the upper bedroom where he saw Nikola Ziachenko sleeping beside his three-year-old son. (gasps) He shot Nikola through the window and then viciously stabbed Julia, Nikolai's wife, five times, and then he went looking for others in the home. So he shot him through the window before he even got in the house. Yeah, he just couldn't control himself. And I wonder if it was the picture of this father cuddled up next to his sleeping son, if that was a trigger for him, that he couldn't even wait till he was in the house to shoot them. But because he is so quick to shoot and kill and murder... It was just an opportunity for him, maybe. But he would go through the house looking for others. He would kill three-year-old Boris and three-month-old Oleg. Three months Mm -hmm. and three years old. They can't even identify you. It's true. There was no threat from a three-year-old and a three-month-old. No. They couldn't ID him as witnesses. There was no reason for it. Yeah, that to me is just pure evil. Yeah. Their most often reported cause of death was strangulation. But some sources say that they were stabbed too, like their mother. 
After confirming that there were no other occupants in the home, Anatoly returned to Nikolai and Julia and cut off their ring fingers to take their wedding rings for himself. He also removed Julia's golden crucifix and earrings. He ransacked the house and took a bag of worn clothes with him. The collection of old clothes was something that he would continue to do throughout his crimes. While other items he stole from the houses were often fenced for money, he did keep some souvenirs to remember his crimes and relive them. The clothes were often how he would do this. Yeah, that's really eerie. The thrill he would have got by wearing their clothes afterwards. Mm -hmm. And some victims' clothes he puts on right after he kills them. So they still have the person's blood on them. He takes them right off their bodies? Mm -hmm. For some victims, he does. Before leaving, he set the house on fire to destroy evidence. Police, when investigating the crime scene, believe that the homicide was a robbery gone wrong. But they still struggle to explain the brutality and the senseless killing of two small children who would not have presented a threat to the murderer. Police investigate after the fire and they find Julia lying on her back with the three-month-old on her chest. The baby was thought to have been placed there on his mother's chest after they were both dead. Anatoly would later explain that he killed such a small child so that he would not have to live in an orphanage like he had had to. Oh, give me a break. You did not have one iota of compassion for that baby. No, he wouldn't have had to go to an orphanage if he still had parents. Exactly. And how does he know that those children wouldn't have had loving family that would have taken care of them even if their parents had been murdered? He doesn't. It's just an excuse he gives. It is. From there, Anatoly's MO would become more cemented. He would target an isolated house to commit a murder. He would create some sort of commotion to gain the attention of the homeowners and then kill them, starting with the person he felt would be the biggest threat and then work his way down the order, leaving the weakest members until last. Yeah, because he's a coward. He doesn't want to risk having anyone hurt him. Maybe. Yeah, no one can fight back then. He was very systematic about it. Most of them are, though, when mm -hmm. it comes to family annihilations that way. Yeah. His first victims were usually killed with a Toss 34 and a double barrel shotgun that he had previously stolen. As he moved down his list of victims and his killing spree continued, he started to use different methods to kill. In an interview later, Anatoly would say his method of killing was determined by the perceived strength of the victim. For the strong, he would shoot them. If he felt that they were weaker, he wouldn't, quote, waste the bullets. After he had dispatched all the inhabitants, he would collect any items he could fence or that he wanted to keep as trophies, and then he would usually set the houses on fire to destroy any clues that may lead to him and cause trouble in the future. In some houses, he would scatter torn family pictures all around the house. And it's believed this was an expression of his hatred towards anyone that had had a happy family that he had been cheated of. But you had a happy family. You chose to leave your happy family as an adult. Yes, he couldn't have controlled what happened to him as a child, but you had the wife and the baby and you chose to leave. Right. And while he's doing this, it's super ironic that he has the opportunity with Anna and her children to create a loving family. He's already acting and playing the part of being this doting husband and father. So why not just be that? Yeah, instant family right there for you. Mm -hmm. In the late hours of December 29th, Anatoly was once again venturing from his girlfriend's apartment for an apparent business trip. As he wandered the streets of the small town of Brakovici near the Poland border, Anatoly canvassed the streets dressed as a vagabond. That night, he had an interaction with a local forester, Mikhail Malinowski. Anatoly had asked him for some money, and Mikhail had refused twice and swore at him. 
That was all it took for the dirtbag Anatoly to fire a bullet into his back and drag him into a nearby ditch, stealing his clothes, his money, and his keys. Next, he traveled along the streets and spotted Pyotr Krikovshai and his partner Maria hanging curtains in their new home. This must have been a picture of domestic bliss, a picture that Anatoly took exception to. He fired through the window, killing Pyotr instantly. As Maria rushed over, he shot her as well, and then went looking for other people in the home. Maria's twin sisters were at the house with them on that fateful night. He found one of her sisters, Lesia, hiding under the kitchen table. He shot her and then did the same thing to her other sister, Miroslava, once he spotted her. The girls were only 18. Before setting the house on fire, Anatoly returned to Maria and used a knife to cut off her finger to collect her wedding ring. Later, he would comment that it was, quote, like cutting through a small branch and that the flesh was like, quote, cutting through butter. Oh my goodness, he is terrible. Okay, I am really not buying that this is not an emotional thing for him because he's triggered by all these views of a family. Like you said, that was such a little blissful moment, a young couple in their new home hanging curtains. He couldn't stand it. Or seeing that dad laying with his baby. He is totally emotionally motivated. Mm -hmm. Maybe he says that he doesn't get enjoyment out of these killings because he doesn't want people to think he is emotionally connected to the killings. But he totally is, even cutting off the finger to remove the ring. You can bend down and just pull the ring off. You don't have to cut that finger off. That's a violent way to, I'm taking that wedding ring off of you. He does say that he did attempt to take it off their fingers, but couldn't get it off. Yeah, but this last one, he's saying she's got such tiny fingers, it was like a little twig and butter. I doubt that that ring is stuck. His statements are that he had difficulty removing it, and so that's why he had to cut the finger off. Maybe. I guess if he doesn't do that all of the time. Either way, it's disgusting. And it just shows his total disregard. If he wants something, he takes it. Yeah. He's just so vile. Wait till you hear what he does next. Oh, no. Anatoly returned home later that day and proposed to Anna. (gasps) With the ring? Uh Uh-huh. She had excitedly said yes, unknowingly accepting an engagement ring that Anatoly had just chopped off of one of his victims less than 24 hours before. No! Ladies, go get your rings DNA tested. (laughs) Gross, right? Oh, my gosh. And how sick. She would have been so excited about this ring. And every time he looked at it, he would have had that reminder Mm -hmm. of the young woman that he killed and her twin sisters and husband. Yeah, he would have felt a sense of satisfaction. Yeah. Anatoly even remembered presents for the children. He gave them a radio that he had stolen from that house as well. So to Anna and her children, he's looking like this sweet catch. Oh, puke. But now murders are starting to stack up in these small towns across the Ukraine. The news of a potential serial killer, though, never made the headlines. Really? Fearful of what the news could do to the fragile country, politicians urged for the story to be kept under wraps. This was not an unusual practice in this country during this time. In the former Soviet Union, the government had refused to believe or acknowledge even the existence of serial killers. So kind of like the not my kid thing, not my country, we're too good for that? Well, it wasn't even not my country. They're like, these people just don't even exist. Just because you put your head in the sand doesn't mean it's going to go away. And just to save face, like you could have saved some of these victims, but how you appear to the rest of the world was more important than their lives? It was. And it was this belief that allowed Anatoly to strike again just six days later. 
Anatoly once again took to the streets looking for victims. With this kind of escalation, his compulsion to kill is becoming more and more apparent. On the night of January 5th, Anatoly decided to use his old trick of attacking people in their cars. He came across Sergei Odinsov and Tamara Dolinin in Enerodar in the eastern part of the Ukraine. They had stopped their car in a secluded place to drink champagne and celebrate Christmas, because January 6th is actually the day for the Orthodox Church to celebrate Christmas in the Ukraine, and that's what's largely practiced in Ukraine. With a 12 caliber shotgun, Anatoly shot Sergei in the face and killed Tamara after making her strip. When police would later investigate, there was some suspicion raised about whether Anatoly had raped this poor woman after her death. After her death. Yeah. This would be the only case that this happens, but there was some suspicion there that he might have done this. And was this the first one after getting engaged? Yes. Ah, so he may have been sexually riled and on this little high of, oh, I'm going to have a wife and a family. I wouldn't put it past him. And the fact that he's gotten away with so many murders in such a short period of time, I'm sure he's on a high. Yeah. And it doesn't stop there. He continues throughout the night. Now in the early morning hours of January 6th, their Christmas day, Anatoly hid the bodies of the couple in the trunk of their own car. <gasps> While he was fleeing from the scene, he noticed Alexander Ryboko, an off-duty police officer, walking with his friend Sergei Garmash. Fearing that they could be witnesses, Anatoly felt the need to eliminate them. I guess he hadn't noticed that he had already traveled 10 kilometers from the original crime scene, and there was little chance that they would have seen anything at all. Anatoly approached them and rolled down the window of the car, and when the two bent down to talk to him, he shot them in the face from point-blank range. Oh my goodness. Anatoly would later say that after murdering the two friends, this is when he spotted a soldier named Viktor Kassiev. He too was shot for being a potential witness. He's just on a rampage. Mm -hmm. I can see how you're saying he's this mass killer, free killer, family annihilator. He is just out of control. Mm-hmm. He's completely out of control because for most dirtbags, that would be enough, but not for Anatoly. Eight kilometers down the road, he came across Anatoly Savitsky, a taxi driver. After shooting him, his body was unceremoniously stuffed in the trunk with Sergei and Tamara. No way. After driving the car another 100 meters from his last crime scene, Anatoly pulled over to the side of the road and set the car on fire, but not before murdering one last victim. Nadirshta Koshirgina had happened to pass by the horrific scene and was spotted by Anatoly as he fled on foot. She was shot twice because of it. So just for being in the proximity. Yeah, she was just walking home with her groceries. Oh my goodness. After a full night of murder, Anatoly returned to Anna's apartment with a leather coat, another wedding ring, a pair of shoes, and two bags of groceries. <gasps> he took her groceries! Yep. Oh! I don't know why that shocks me so much, but that is a whole new level of dirtbag. Can you just envision the scene where he shoots her? She would have dropped her groceries yeah. all in the ground. And then he takes the time to pick up the groceries and then carry them home to Anna and the children. Was there blood on them? Like, oh, yeah, I like oranges. Perfect. We were needing bananas, too. It's just bizarre. But that's what seven people's lives were worth to him. He was willing to kill for just those few things. Yeah, nothing of value. Not at all. I don't even think he's killing to rob them. I think that's just a little bonus. I killed them. Oh, let's might as well look and see what I can take. Mm -hmm. This new crime scene stumped investigators. This was not the same MO that they had assigned to the unknown serial killer because they had not yet connected Anatoly to the 1989 murders. 
up until this point, it had always been families in their homes that he was killing. And now he was attacking people in their cars. And just random people. Mm -hmm. A woman walking home with her groceries by herself is not that family setting that would trigger him into murder. No. The only connection between any of the victims was the two lovers and the two friends that had been walking together. There was no connection to any of the others. The police couldn't figure out how or why a stranger had ended up in the trunk with Sergier and Tamara, or how any of the other individuals fit into the night of crime. Yeah. It was completely random. After his murder-filled night, Anatoly returned home, and in the coming weeks started to celebrate his engagement with dinner parties where he appeared perfectly content with how his life was working out. This apparent happiness did not keep Anatoly, though, from committing more murders. Oh, when is he going to stop? And he really is living this life of duplicity, like you said. It makes me question, was he really happy because of the engagement, or was it because he was getting away with all these murders? It was both. Probably was. It's always both. On January 17th, Anatoly pried open the door with a chisel to break into an isolated home in Brakovici in the early morning hours. Vladimir Palat, 62, heard the noise and came to investigate. As he opened the door, he was shot in the face. Lesya, his daughter-in-law, ran to investigate, but she too was shot. Next, the dirtbag Anatoly shot six-year-old Vladimir, his grandfather's namesake, and his father Oleg. Olga, Vladimir's wife, was also shot. She was found hiding under the bed. Oh, no. Just before dawn, Anatoly set fire to the house after ransacking and stealing. What a monster. And he's shooting them right in the face. Like, he is shooting to kill. He's mm -hmm. not messing around. Well, with a sawed-off shotgun, it just completely destroys them. Yeah. As Anatoly was leaving the house, he saw two potential witnesses, 29-year-old Galina Konzeller and 56-year-old Stephen Zaharko. Anatoly shot them both. Their bodies were discovered in the snow by a person walking the next morning. And were they together or just two separate random people? They were just two people out doing their own thing in the morning. Oh. He normally killed the families overnight and then was leaving the houses during the early morning hours. After the second mass murder in two weeks, police are catching on to the fact that now they have a serious dirtbag on their hands. Anatoly's MO had given him away. The murders were described by investigators as systematic. For the first time, the police also come up with a thesis that the same perpetrator or perpetrators are responsible for all these attacks. Yeah, it's really almost mind-boggling that this is happening by one person. Mm -hmm. It took them a long time to actually come to that conclusion that it was one person. Really, the only way they come to that conclusion is that the investigators start to think if it had been two people, somebody would have talked. Because there was a lot of thought that maybe these were all gang-related murders. Right. Now, though, with the second family being murdered in the same town, there's no chance of keeping the news of a serial killer out of the newspapers. Panic sets in. Entire families chose to move, and others put up high fences or bars on their windows. Thousands of people attend the Palat family funerals, and they bond over their sadness and fear of what's happening in their town. After these murders, the small town literally turned into a fortified camp. Police forces increase their surveillance, and the number of police working on the case increases. And at one point during his crime sprees, they actually bring in the military and instigate curfews. Wow. Years later, when asked how he could do something so terrible without remorse, Anatoly would say, it was very simple. Like an animal, I looked at all of this as if a wolf looked on a sheep. 
There's no words for how terrible of a person he is. No. He was kind of power hungry. He liked that feeling of power. He liked to be the predator, for sure. Yeah. Not even two weeks later, on January 30th, in Festov, 75 kilometers southwest of Kriv, Sergei Zagranichny was visiting the Maraschina family on the night that Anatoly chose to watch them. It was believed that Anatoly approached Sergei as he was leaving, with the intention of stealing his car. Sergei tried to defend himself with a nearby shovel and then tried to run away, but he was shot in the back. Hearing the gunshot, Svetlana, a nurse, came out to investigate, followed by her two young sons, Boris, seven, and Dennis, six. Oh, no. All were shot. <gasps> Sergi and Dennis were still alive after being shot, so Anatoly beat them to death with a shovel. No, the six-year-old. Mm-hmm. <gasps> after these murders, Anatoly was feeling pretty confident. Even though he hadn't burned the bodies, the police still were no closer to catching him. But the media was now blowing up about the murders, and this just fed into his ego. When Anna asked him to spend more time with the family, he had no trouble taking a few weeks off to play house. Oh my goodness. I don't know how you can literally beat a little boy to death and then go play house. Then go tuck in your own kids at night. Yeah. And play this loving stepfather. But three weeks was all he could wait. And when he began to kill again, it was with a new fever pitch. Using the excuse that with the upcoming wedding, he would need to make some extra money, Anatoly once again was looking for victims on February 19th. He shot the father and a son and viciously beat the mother and daughter to death with a hammer before leaving. Oh. He stated that the young girl, Victoria, who was only nine and had witnessed him murder her parents, was found praying when he walked into her room. Melissa. He said, quote, seconds before I smashed her head, I ordered her to show me where they kept the money. She looked at me with an angry, defiant stare and said, no, I won't. That strength was incredible, but I felt nothing. Good for her for standing up to him. I cannot believe what a cold hearted creep he was. How can you do that to a little girl praying? Mm -hmm. And even for him to acknowledge that, oh, I felt respect for her. But then I smashed her head in. And no remorse. None at all. On the night of February 26, he shot Victor Goods, an ambulance driver who was just walking home after a long shift. The father of three had refused to hand over his money. And so he was shot. He would have shot him even if he handed over his money. Probably true. How is he not getting caught? This is so many murders. It is crazy. So many lives have been taken and so cold hearted and viciously. Yeah. The very next day, Anatoly targeted the house of the Bodnerchuk family. He lured the father out of the house by throwing a rock against the window that overlooked the family garden. Sergier exited the house with an axe in his hand, ready to defend his family. Remember, now we have all these reports of a murderer killing families. So yeah. Sergier goes out. He's ready to defend his family. Sergier was shot in the chest. There was evidence on his hands, though, that he had tried to fend off his attacker, even after he was shot. Oh. Next, Anatoly killed Sergei's wife, Galina, in the living room, then went upstairs where two daughters, Valerie, eight, and Tatiana, seven, were asleep in their beds and murdered them with the axe that their father had taken to protect his family. Oh. An hour later, while Anatoly was still in the house going through belongings, a neighbor, Boris Talik, approached the house. Anatoly shot and then cut up his body with the same fire axe before making off with all of his loot. 
He cut off his body. Mm-hmm. He's escalating. He's still escalating. Just when you think he can't get worse. This might be one of the worst cases you've ever covered, Melissa. Police were able to find bullet holes in the exterior of the building, and they pointed towards a particular kind of shotgun that had been sawed off. The largest manhunt in Ukraine history was staged. Over 100,000 police, special service agents, and military were involved in the vast operation. The media nicknamed Anatoly the Terminator. The army was called in and armored vehicles patrolled the streets in the west part of the country. Curfews were imposed and thousands of police patrolled the streets at night in the icy weather. Checkpoints were set up all around Brakovici and anyone walking, cycling, or traveling in a bus or a car was stopped and searched. Good. But Anatoly was still able to get away with one more family murder. In mid-March, the Security Service of Ukraine and the Public Prosecutor's Office Specialist detained 26-year-old Yuri Mazola as a suspect for several of these brutal murders. They believed that they had caught their guy. All they needed to do was to get him to confess. For almost a week, the 26-year-old was beaten, burned, and shocked with electricity, but he would not confess. He eventually died during the torture. (gasps) Another one! Mm Mm-hmm. The seven responsible for his death would later be incarcerated after the real killer confessed. They incarcerated the police who did it? Yeah, because it was so widely publicized because Uh. they were patting themselves on the back saying, look, we've caught the killer, but he died during interrogation. But now the Terminator has been caught. And how many years has this spanned over? Well, he had that period where he went into kind of a remission while he traveled Europe. Right. So he had nine months, if you look at the very beginning. And this, he started in October of 95. And now we're just into March of 96. Okay. So another six months. So a 26-year-old could have done this then. It's not like this took place over decades. No, it was short periods of time. Wow. He has zero cooling off period, really. No, sometimes there's not even a full day between murders. Oh, how sad for that family of that 26-year-old man. It's so sad. Anatoly was not impressed that the police had given somebody else the credit for his murders, though. So he set out again, this time to prove that there was only one Terminator, and he was still free to kill. His final murder took place on March 22nd in the small village of Busk, 90 kilometers from where all the checkpoints had been set up. Again, the father, Mikhail Novosad, was lured to the front door where he was shot in the chest with a rifle. Next, his wife, Galene, was shot. Her sister, Irina, who had run and hid underneath the kitchen table, had her head smashed in. Anatoly went downstairs where he came across the 10-year-old daughter, Lamilla, sleeping in her bed. So he stabbed her, leaving her in her bed to bleed to death. Oh, no. When he returned upstairs, he saw that Mikhail was still holding on to life, despite being shot twice. The dirtbag Anatoly took the knife that he had just used to kill the man's daughter and slashed his throat and then rammed the blade into his mouth. No way. That poor father was probably hanging on to dear life, thinking about his wife and daughter being in the home, feeling like I have to protect them. I can't die. Yep. And he is just getting more and more vicious every time. To stab him in the mouth after he had shot him twice and then slit his throat, it's overkill. Yeah. And he's killing these sleeping children who wouldn't have even known that he had been there. No. 
it sounds like this one was motivated by his ego because someone else got his credit. Yes, I would agree. This one was definitely motivated by ego. And maybe that's why it was a little more vicious with stabbing him in the mouth afterwards. Well, later he even talks about how he made sure that he followed every nuance of his MO so that they would know it wasn't a copycat killing. Right. After he ransacked the house and stole what he wanted, he set the house on fire, erasing all traces of evidence. He must be good at setting these fires because they're not finding the stuff that they need to catch him. Yeah, he's excellent at it. Just when it seemed he would never be caught, the police finally catch a break in the case. Piotr, Anatoly's cousin, finally comes through. Officially, it was an anonymous tip that came on April 7th, but a later leak revealed that it was Piotr. Piotr had kicked his cousin out of the house after his wife found guns under his bed. When Piotr confronted Anatoly, Anatoly had become angry and incensed about his cousin accusing him. He threatened Piotr and his family. According to a neighbor, Piotr's cousin was so furious that he said, quote, God will punish you and your family at Easter. With Easter just around the corner and fearing for his family's life, Piotr came forward to the police. He let police know that his cousin was living with his girlfriend in Zhirtam Eriskea and that he believed him to carry around a sawed-off shotgun. His report was almost not taken seriously. But the superior officer had just been reading about a report of a Taz 34 12-gauge shotgun that was used in a family massacre in Brokovici, which had been stolen from Zhitam Iriskaya. A suspicious coincidence. Police, nervous of Anatoly, planned their takedown in detail. Twenty officers were assembled in unmarked cars. The apartment was surrounded, and the exits were all blocked. Officers were placed on the sandwiching floors of the building. With how dangerous he is, they need that many people to take this one down. It's true. But what's hilarious is that he comes to the door in Anna's underwear. No way. Yes. (laughs) So they're expecting this massive, like, takedown, the Terminator. And he shows up in Anna's underwear at the door. He's wearing pink panties when he opens the door. Yeah. When the police rang the doorbell on the third floor apartment, Anatoly opened the door, immediately believing that it was Anna and her two children returning from their visit to her mother's from Easter. Anna wasn't even there? No. I assumed he was wearing the underwear because they were getting their kink on. They weren't even home. He was just walking around the house in her underwear. Yep. (laughs) My mind is blown. (laughs) I mean, each to their own, but it just seems so out of character that he's just like, oh, yeah, I'll just put this on. They're silky and soft. It was only one report that I found saying that he was wearing in his underwear, but that he was half asleep and was quickly subdued and taken into custody. Wow. But he wasn't going down without a fight. Because when asked to produce his identification, he led police to a closet in the home. Guess what's in the closet? Guns. Yeah. As the closet door was open, he dove and tried to grab a gun that had been stored there. The gun would later be identified as a gun that he had stolen from a previous crime scene. Oh, I'm glad he had all that still there. Mm-hmm. He had moved all of his gun cachet that Piotr's wife was so concerned about. He had now moved it into Anna's house and they found it all. The search took the whole day. When examining the apartment, they found a whole bunch of things that belonged to the victims as well, including the tiny jacket of the stabbed boy from Mullen. And Anna had no suspicion. Well, the items he had brought home to give to her and the kids. Yeah, but a baby jacket? How do you make sense of that? Or do you have that hidden, maybe? The jacket wasn't hidden. I assume that he had just given it to one of her children. Oh. 
I don't know, though, if my boyfriend kept bringing home all these guns. She didn't know about any of them. When Anna arrived home, she realized that something serious had happened because her whole apartment building is surrounded by police officers. She asked what's going on. And she was asked, do you remember those deaths in Brakovici? And without answering, she just starts to cry as she makes a connection between what the police are trying to tell her. Then maybe she did have a suspicion. Because if she's going to start crying when they just say, do you know about those? How does she know it's not a neighbor? How does she even know it's someone on her floor? Right. Her mind immediately went to Anatoly. Mm -hmm. But most reports say that up until this point, she was completely in the dark about Anatoly's nighttime activities. And she wasn't the only one. His family members would later recall instances where they were completely fooled by his behavior. His daughter-in-law told of a time that he had brought their family a bucket of herring fish, proud to help out his son's family, only to learn in court that it had been stolen from one of the victim's families. Yeah, he had no problem taking their food. No. So he's now reconnected with the son that he abandoned? He did try to connect with them, yeah. Okay. Another relative spoke of a time that they had stayed in the same house as Anatoly, and the TV aired the mass funeral in Brakovici. She said Anatoly reacted violently and indignant towards the villain that would not even spare the children. With that kind of behavior, he had almost everyone fooled. Oh, he was putting on a show. He totally was putting on a show. Huh. I can't even imagine someone coming to your house, bringing you this gift of food, and you're eating a dead person's food that he murdered. But Anna's wearing a dead person's ring. Oh. It's so gross. Anatoly was taken into custody on April 7th, but not officially arrested until the 16th at the age of 37. At first, Anatoly refused to speak to anyone but a general. While waiting for a general to arrive, Anatoly remained silent for about 30 minutes. But then he started to talk about his early life, his mother's death and the orphanage. When asked if he hated all families, he clammed up again. When challenged that they could be bringing in a general for no reason at all, Anatoly responded, quote, don't worry, there's definitely something to tell. He's not wrong. Nope. The interrogation with the general started at 11 p.m. and the confession took until 6 a.m. in the morning and then continued over the next five days. Despite the long history of hands-on interrogation methods, police practiced a great deal of restraint and Anatoly said that no hands were ever laid on him. Huh. It was one of the tactics that his lawyer tried to use was to say that they forced you to confess because they had this history of doing that. Yeah, how ironic that when they actually have the killer in their possession, they don't lay a hand on him. Well, they had just faced all the publicity of that one dying during the interrogation. Right. And Anatoly is speaking. So it's not that they're getting him to confess. He's in the process of it. Right. But it is so ironic that three people died being forced to confess for his crimes and they don't torture him at all. Yeah. Rough him up a little, please. Not that I'm for that, but this guy, there's no punishment harsh enough for him. No. At first, he was reluctant to give all the information, only admitting to eight murders at first. But as time passes, he negotiates with snacks and perks and more and more truth comes out. Bring me a Hershey's bar and I'll tell you about another murder. Sausage and crackers is what he wanted. Oh, he wanted the savory treat. Yeah. One investigator called him, quote, the most confusing person I have ever questioned. Anatoly explained how he had been ordered by God to kill his victims, that he was able to hypnotize humans, stop his own heart by will, and control animals telepathically. When teased by the investigating officer about hypnotizing him, 
Anatoly just matter-of-factly answered that he could only hypnotize weak people. Baloney! None of that is true! I don't know if he's totally convinced himself that he has all these talents and abilities, or if this is all his ploy to appear crazy. During the interrogations, Anatoly stated, quote, that an inner voice had forced him to commit the murders. Allegedly, he murdered with a goal incomprehensible to ordinary people, according to the instructions of a higher being. At one point, he claims that it was Satan. The second time, he claims that it was aliens. And other times, he claims it was dark forces that told him to murder. But it started out as God. Yeah. Trying to support these claims that he was crazy, Anatoly told them about his psychiatric hospital stay in 1994 and his attendance in outpatient therapy. And there were even some unsubstantiated claims that Anatoly's outpatient therapist was aware that he was killing, but alerted nobody. No way. Mm -hmm. If that was true, I'm hoping that it was fear that kept him quiet and he wasn't just a big dirtbag himself. Yeah. How do you sit with that kind of information, especially hearing about all these murders afterwards, too? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would not want to have that on my conscience. No. Interrogating officers believe that Anatoly was truly crazy, but psychiatrists declared him sane and fit to stand trial. And Anatoly's own lawyer, who spent a lot of time with him, would admit that he agreed with the psychologist years later, saying that he regarded his behavior of making statements of a higher power and voices as, quote, a sophisticated way of self-defense. And he defended himself very competently, prudently, and using the slightest opportunity. It can be seen that he has an animal instinct and ingenuity by nature. That Anatoly, quote, wore his atrocities as awards and almost credited himself. It seems to me that he deliberately shocked the public, inspired them that a normal person could not do this, to make people think, quote, look, he's a fool. He's sick in the head. Wow. So his lawyer is pretty much saying it was all an act for him. Yeah. He made these outrageous claims and people fell for it because they couldn't imagine a normal person being able to do the things that he did. Well, that's the thing. It's sometimes so mind-blowing. The things that one human is capable of doing to another. Mm -hmm. And this guy takes the cake. And it's almost more comforting thinking that, yes, he's absolutely crazy and only a crazy person could do this. Right. On June 28, 1997, he walked the police through the murder scenes. He is described as talking about the murders as if he is ordering food. There is no remorse expressed at all. In an interview delivered shortly after being apprehended, he stated, quote, If I am ever let out, I will start killing again, but this time it will be worse, ten times worse. The urge is there. The trial began in November 1998. It took so long because in Ukraine, the accused is allowed to have time to read through all the evidence against him. With so many crimes committed, there were volumes and volumes for Anatoly to read. And Anatoly took his time. What a nightmare. During the trial, the first order was to establish whether he was competent. Anatoly was found mentally competent by a psychiatrist after 28 hours of interviewing. They believed his stories about voices and Satan were a twisted play for attention. I agree. There is some question because there was that original psychiatrist that said he did have schizophrenia. But the later psychiatrist that interviewed him said no. Well, and because he was able to turn it on and off, he could live this quote unquote seemingly healthy life and friend, family, whatever. But then on the other side, be this total monster. Yeah. So how do you turn the negative effects of this mental health disorder on and off? 
You can't. And that's why I don't believe it either. But there are some that do believe it. On November 23rd, Ukraine court agreed that Anatoly, now 39, was mentally competent, saying, quote, does not suffer from psychiatric illnesses, is conscious and in control of the actions he commits, and does not require any additional psychiatric examination. The trial opened on February 12, 1999, in Zydemir. Anatoly was placed inside a steel cage in the middle of the courtroom, where he was insulted and spat upon by those that came to watch the proceedings. No way! (laughs) Why does that make me so happy that he was caged like an animal? Because he is an animal. He is. And he's even said, I will kill again, but even worse. Yeah. Police were fearful of vigilante justice and searched everyone that came into the courtroom. Emotions ran very high during the trial. There was a great amount of fear among the people of Ukraine that Anatoly would not get the death sentence because the alternative in the Ukraine at the time was only a 15-year prison sentence. What? Yeah. Those were the options. Death or 15 years. Can he get 15 years for each person and add them up? No. So there were a lot of people that were like, he needs to die. During the trial, his defense tried to present Anatoly's childhood and mental health history to claim reduced responsibility. Anatoly's lawyer, Mashkovsky, later would admit in an interview that it was his idea to make his client look crazy. Quote, I made it up to make him look like an idiot. His defense also focused on the guilt of the law enforcement, that had they not only did their jobs, lives could have been saved. Yeah. The prosecution said that Anatoly had lived a double life. Quote, he knew what he was doing and was able to fool everyone, pointing out that he was able to carry on a successful relationship and a blended family with Anna and her two children who called him daddy. Exactly. Case closed. Mm Mm-hmm. During the trial, Anatoly said that he was trying to form a cross of murder scenes across the Ukraine countryside. And if you plot his murders, it looks like a cross with one arm missing. Really? Mm-hmm. He said, quote, I am being groomed to serve Satan. I have been taken over by a higher force, something telepathic or cosmic, which drove me. Anatoly said that he had been led by the devil and superior and mysterious voices, playing up the crazy act. He said that he was guilty and was not at all remorseful, saying, quote, I would kill again today in spite of everything. Today, I am a beast of Satan. He was found guilty of all 52 murders. The death penalty was sought, and after the judge deliberated for three hours, he granted that sentence. Good. As the sentence was delivered, Anatoly stared at the floor and made a vulgar gesture, responding by raising his middle finger towards the judge, and then drew a cross on his forehead. He touched the judge or on his own forehead? On his own forehead. Okay. When he addressed the court after his sentence was delivered, he said, quote, I stole and killed, but I am a robot. I don't feel anything. I've been close to death so many times, it's even interesting for me now to venture into the afterlife to see what's there after that death. Unfortunately, after he was given the death sentence, it was commuted to a life sentence in prison, because the Ukraine had just entered into the Council of Europe and had agreed to abolish the death penalty. Oh, wow. So, but at least he's getting a life sentence, like no parole. It just wasn't set to like the 15 years that they had originally said. The laws changed and they gave him a complete life sentence, no eligibility for parole. The politicians actually went and lobbied to the Council of Europe saying like, this is a case we need to make an exception for. He needs to be put to death. 
And the political atmosphere was, no, you have to abolish the death penalty. You can't just pick and choose. Right. Sergi, his accomplice, was only given 13 years for the nine murders that he was convicted of. No way. 13 years? That's just barely over a year a person. But he was convicted before they changed the laws. So they didn't even give him the max for nine murders. They didn't because he was only accomplice. What a slap in the face. But an accomplice nine times. Yeah. Crazy, right? Yes. That man obviously does not know how to make good choices and is a threat to society. Again, there was undertones that he might have connections. Ugh. In an interview with the Sunday Mirror in March 1999, Anatoly told a journalist that it was clear that his childhood had a significant effect on his decisions later in life. As a child, he felt humiliated, belittled, and felt unimportant. He said it's not a surprise that he grew up into a dirtbag that made up a persona that he believed he was superior to all others, and thus all of his actions were justified. He declared that, quote, I am naturally superior to all other human beings. He believed that his superiority was proven because he was not bothered by the murders he carried out, saying, quote, I can endure anything and forget everything. Yeah, that doesn't make you better, buddy. That makes you worse. Makes you less than human. If you don't have any human emotions. Yeah. That's an animal, right? You're an inferior human being. Yeah. Some would say that Anatoly was a thrill-seeking killer. But this is challenged by Anatoly's comments about not feeling anything when he killed and that he was only a robot that had the urge to kill. He did say during his early crime spree that he had felt guilty, but that disappeared after having a vision while traveling in Greece. The vision directed him to make killing his life's goal. Quote, from that day on, everyone would know me as a robot that could kill without hesitation. Ah, so he's not really a robot because... He is capable of having those feelings. If he felt guilt at the beginning, then that's just a conscious choice that you're making. Right. He just suppresses it. He would go on to describe his urge to kill as a compulsion. He said, quote, for me, it's like hunting, chasing people. I was sitting bored, doing nothing, and suddenly this idea penetrated my head. I did everything to get him out, but I couldn't. It was stronger than me. So I get in the car or take a train and go out and kill. Despite being considered a well-behaved prisoner who read detective stories and communicated with priests, the director of the Zodomir prison said of Anatoly that, quote, he may seem completely normal to you, but if you touched a sensitive area, his eyes changed completely and you could see the killer. Oh, that is chilling. There were several people that made statements about how his countenance would change. Oh, I believe it. His own statements during his incarceration speak to how truly heartless and cold Anatoly really was. At different times, he would be interviewed and say things like, quote, I have absolutely no interest in relationships with people. I betrayed them. Killing people is like tearing old devays to me. Men, women, old people, children, they are all the same. I have never pitied those I killed. No love, no hatred, just blind indifference. I don't see them as individuals, but as masses. A human being doesn't mean anything. I've only seen weak people. I compare humans to sand grains. There are so much of them, they don't mean a thing. Oh my goodness. He would proudly claim that, quote, There is no better killer in the world than me. Everyone who wants to measure up to me, you can always try. I feel no remorse, I have no remorse, and I would do it again if I could. During his last interview in July of 2013, his narcissism really showed through. 
he still wanted to appear superior. So he refused to be videoed or photographed because he still wanted people to envision him as a young man. Oh, they should have put his wrinkly old face on front page of every paper. Mm -hmm. He died a month after that interview on August 27th at the age of 54 from a heart condition at the Zonomir prison. And that is the case of the vile and evil Anatoly Anaprienko, the narcissistic dirtbag that murdered other people's families to get back at his own. What a disgusting piece of garbage. I just don't buy that he had no feelings when he killed. I think that he just presented that, oh, I have no feelings because he didn't want to admit that he was taking out his rage for the hurt he felt. Yeah. Against he, other people. Exactly. He was still a sad little boy. Mm -hmm. Is basically what it boiled down to. He was not behaving like a grown up and taking accountability for his actions. I think he got that rush. He got that thrill. He was murdering out of his emotions and just wanted to save face. Even him not wanting to be photographed shows his vanity. Yeah, he definitely had an ego. He yeah. went and killed that last family just to prove that nobody can be like me. Yeah, out of spite almost. Mm -hmm. Melissa, that was a very bumpy ride. A beast of a case. That was. But I have to admit, I'm glad we're now done with Anatoly. He's terrible. Massive dirtbag. But there's never an end to dirtbags. This is true because I will be back again next week with another dirtbag to tell you all about. Until then. See ya. Bye. His parents took it that far. Yeah. Melissa, I think you owe me a toonie. Pay up. <laughs> or I'm calling the coppers. Actually, I owe you money for Tim's this morning. The ship Maximum Gork. Gorky. Maximum Gorky? Yeah. Doesn't it sound like a porn star's name? Maximum Porky? <laughs> Rohazin. 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 What does he have in his row? He has a rosin. The Podalaka. Podalaka. The Podalaka. As soon as you put <laughs> other words with it. Why do I do this to myself? Yeah-e-ven-gen-e-tics. Neuroleptics. Thank you. He was treated you for four <laughs> They say it's okay to talk to yourself, but it's concerning when you answer yourself. I'm at that point, Christy. <laughs> I was like, okay. why is she thinking me? No, she's not. She's thinking herself. Sometimes you got to pat your own dang back. That's right. <laughs> Can you imagine their spouses finding out that way that they were having affairs because mm -hmm. they got murdered in the same car together? Piotr Krikovsky. <laughs> Say that 10 times fast and I'll give you a chocolate. Krikovsky. <laughs> it's kind of crazy that three adult bodies fit in the trunk. Yeah. Okay. How do you spell it? Z-H-I-T-M. Sorry. O-M. O-M. I-R-S-K-A-Y-A. <laughs> I have no idea why you can't just pronounce these, <laughs> Melissa. What the heck? <laughs> you know how you were saying, like, you just want something to go well? Yes. And I'm curious, was the attempted cross on the map, was it an upside down cross? I don't know. I feel ticked off that he just got to die of natural causes.
Oh, there are many people that were very ticked off. I hate this guy. Hey, we're live, pal, and we'd love for you to come check out our podcast, Tales from the Estate. Each week, we talk about our top five favorite somethings. My beautiful wife, Caitlin, likes to share all sorts of random facts. Yeah. Did you know that cows have accents? We did now. But we also review all sorts of snacks and other great things. And so if you love everything random, I think you'd enjoy Tales from the Estate. So come check us out. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Bye. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.